Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. The conversation you are about to hear is with Laverne Russian, mother of Matthew Russian, who as of today is serving a 10-year prison sentence for a car accident. Car accidents are not a crime for most of us, but like we have seen in so many cases right now, when you are a young black man and living with autism as Matthew is, the rights and protections of society do not apply to you. Please listen and take action from Matthew's immediate release. You can find who to call and email on Instagram at Justice for Matthew Russian. That's Justice, the number four, Matthew Russian. And thank you for being the change. Hi, Laverne. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Honored. Very honored. So, Laverne, I would love it if you could start today with just telling us a little bit about your son, Matthew, what kind of person he is that boy that I know you love so much. Matthew is an extraordinary young man. He's phenomenal. He surpassed so many obstacles in his life from the very beginning. Matthew loves to compose music. Matthew loves to volunteer in the community. This is that kid that, you know, never says really no to anybody that needs his help. That was Matthew since from very little. Um, Very always helpful, very always engaged. Sometimes he was a little bit drawn back, but he is that wonderful kid. I mean, we live in Virginia Beach, and so Matthew actually would go across to Newport News and feed the homeless on the weekends. This is who Matthew is. And those guys, I I went out there the other day to kind of do the same thing Matthew was doing, and I took food for them, and they said, well, where is Matthew? When is he coming home? And so they look forward to him. One of the older guys, he's a veteran. And he said, oh my gosh, Matthew was the only person that I could really talk to that would honestly sit there and listen to me. Here in in our 757 area, we have a lot of homeless veterans because of the Navy, because we are such um, a Navy-based community and a lot of them are homeless. And so Matthew, you know, being his dad was retired from the Navy and I'm, I'm prior Navy. Matthew kind of gravitated towards them. So this is Matthew, the big hearted young man that was part of our community. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that struck me most, you and I met, we came to meet via Instagram and I happened to be sent one of the posts that you had posted on Matthew. And instantly as, as a mom to a mom, it struck my heart. And I knew that I had to do something to get your story out, whatever I could, because it was clear you could see what a beautiful, beautiful young man who gave back to his community, 
had a job, had a girlfriend. There isn't any. He's drama. never been in trouble. No, no he's never been in trouble. Nothing, nothing. And we'll get down to that. Like why you think that Matthew is has singled out, you know, why he's receiving this mistreatment. But yes, it's quite clear that Matthew is a, a wonderful, is a wonderful human being that everyone who came across was lucky to know and to be a part of his life. So I'm going to ask you, Laverne, as much as you can, take us back to what happened on January 4th of 2019 and how that looks and, and where we are and bring us to today and how we got to today. So let me give you a little history about Matthew's health, right? So Matthew was diagnosed with ADHD from a very young age. He began stuttering, and so we got him help for that. The other part is Matthew was also diagnosed in sixth grade with autism, Asperger's spectrum. He made it through middle school and high school, struggled a little bit, was on medication for the most part of it. So with that being said, Matthew graduated high school in 2016, June, and went on to Old Dominion University as a mechanical engineering student. Very smart, but of course, the Asperger's part of his characteristics were still there, very obvious. Some people, not too obvious, because as we all know, there are visible character traits, and then there are also invisible traits. Matthew had both, a combination of both. So unless you knew those traits, you would be able to identify them. So getting back to Matthew, so 2016, he graduated, went on to Old Dominion University, did very well in school, just kind of making it out. 2017, Matthew was at Old Dominion University. Anybody who lives in the South will know nobody knows how to drive in snow. There's one snowflake. Everybody goes crazy. Well, that night, January the 4th, 2017, Matthew was coming home from Old Dominion University. It was snowing. We had like almost a foot of snow already on the ground. It was supposed to blizzard that whole weekend, which it did. And so Matthew was coming home. He, again, being helpful to a friend of his, he took a friend to uh, urgent care. Once he took his friend to urgent care, I then drove up to urgent care, which is like maybe like less than three miles from here. I drove up to urgent care and I said, Matthew, you can't stay here with her. Let her dad come and figure out what she needs. And then you go on home. Well, I didn't realize coming out of the parking lot, it was already about a foot deep in snow. He made the right instead of coming out and making the left. And when he made the right, I didn't see when he made the right. So he went down the road. And then I knew because of my truck, I could have made the left to come back home. Well, I get home, nobody's on the driveway. And I'm like, Matthew, where are you? I started to get worried. And then I lost tracking of his phone. Then couldn't figure out where is Matthew rushing? Like, where is he? I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. An hour later, a police officer comes to my door and says, your son is in the emergency room. He's unconscious. I get to the emergency room with my husband and Matthew's unconscious. Somehow Matthew went down a road, I guess maybe to do a U-turn or whatever. We don't really know the cause of that accident because now his history has begun to tell that he had, he was susceptible to seizures. Okay. So we weren't really trying to get to the fact of what happened to cause that accident. What we were trying to do was get Matthew 
out of that first 72 hours, which they told us he would not live. He was in a coma, didn't really concentrate on anything but his recovery. Then that's when he was in ICU for two weeks and then transferred to step down unit, which he was in for a couple of weeks after that. He had strict, rigorous PT, how to learn, talk, walk. I mean, cognitive skills all over again. For about a year, we restricted him as his parents. We said, uh, no, you're going through PT. I mean, we have to see something. And even he agreed, you know, he shouldn't be driving. So he started Old Dominion University in 2017, fall semester. He started back online because he didn't want to drive. So then here comes spring semester of 2018. Well, then he got back to driving. And again, we as his parents restricted his driving only to school and back. We started him off going to like uh, the Walmart up the street or just to kind of get him back into driving. He kind of stressed that he didn't like driving and we were like, okay, then let's try to figure out where would we transfer you to a closer school, which was Tidewater Community College, which is literally up the street from us. We had that conversation several times with him driving and you know, him not being comfortable driving. And then he, he was working too. So again, Matthew was restricted to only work and school. That's it. So 2018 came around. He went through part of the summer. He got depressed. Anybody who understands autism and, and individuals with autism will understand that cutting yourself is not trying to commit suicide. It's called self-harm. This is the way autistic individuals kind of pacify themselves. Well, Matthew was getting frustrated and, you know, he came home one day and he was like, I want to teach. I said, okay, Matthew, we're going to help you get to that. If you want to change your major from mechanical engineering to teaching, that's what we'll do. Matthew had visited third world countries in South America during the summers and he went to orphanage he volunteered. And so this was his passion. He said, you know, I want to teach. I said, okay, so you got the epiphany to go and, and want to teach. Oh my gosh, that is beautiful to me. And so he was like, I don't know, mom, I want to teach. I want to teach. I want to help children overseas. I said, okay. So I started cooking. Matthew left. Matthew went into some woods behind us. And I guess it wasn't that he was trying to commit suicide. It was just he was self-harming. He cut his arms, came out of the woods. Somebody saw him, called 911, and there goes Matthew to the hospital. Of course, they kept him under suicide watch. But my question was, these officers that took him to the hospital, do they not understand what autism is and what autistic people do, like the self-harm? Laverne, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second here. At what age was Matthew then? Oh my gosh, he was uh, 19. He was 19. Okay. I'm wondering why they didn't, the officers didn't make, did they make an attempt to reach out to you before they took him to the hospital? They just... No. Well, just took him? Yes. Just took yes. him? Just took him. Didn't so, him his mother, his father, nothing? Nothing, nothing. I mean, because... I guess the police department will always say, you know, he's over the age of 18. Granted, he's over the age of 18, but he is also autistic. And so, this, was, this was in your backyard. He was in the woods in your backyard. 
Yes. How far from your home? So maybe half a mile because it's right outside the neighborhood. So if you're in our neighborhood, you know, if you do a shortcut, you can actually cut through houses to get to the woods, but we don't do it. We, we actually go around the neighborhood. So which is like a, a little less than a mile, a quarter of a mile or so, like a five or 10 minute walk, not very far. Um, and that's where Matthew would go. Like if you look at all of his pictures that he's ever taken or, or even the Washington Post article he's in the woods he loved being in the woods he loves just sitting there watching the leaves and and composing music composing his poems so for him to come out and then to follow up with that he had a bleeding disorder so obviously if even if the littlest nick will have all that blood dripping down well when he came out the woods somebody saw him of course called 911 and there you go he went into the hospital again they said he was trying to commit suicide. No, Matthew was like, no, I was not trying to commit suicide. You know, I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do as far as school. They even took him up to Eastern State, which is a um, psych hospital, to cut, evaluate him. He told the psychiatric doctor there, same thing. I was just trying to figure out what I'm doing at school. All right, so Matthew then was then released. Really and how many days was he hospitalized? Three days, and then he was home. And then he was home, Yeah coupled with the, the TBI from the accident, you know, all that added up together. And of course, I would figure that he was kind of, I would say depressed, but trying to find a way to cope, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. And that's what autists, and you know, it frustrates me because you, we have all these officers and people that don't recognize these signs and immediately will jump to just, Oh, he's suicidal without even looking at what his history, his past history is. So anyways, that brings us to the summer of 2018. So Matthew then returned back to school. We were talking about transferring him to the Tidewater Community College. In the interim of that, Matt, we found a cyst on Matthew's pituitary gland, which started began causing him headaches. The um, neurologist that was following Matthew said, if he starts to develop any vision changes or any headaches, severe headaches, we have to start reporting it to kind of figure out if that cyst is causing any of that issue. So we were tracking that too. Matthew, bringing us to the fall of 2018, right before the accident, Matthew and his dad went to uh, Memphis, Tennessee to visit his grandparents. So Matthew calls me and says, mom, I'm laying on the floor. I can't get up. I'm like, where's your dad? You're laying on the floor. This is like 4.30 in the morning. I said, where's your dad? And he's like, oh, I think dad's in uh, grandma's room or somewhere in grandpa's room. And I said, well, you go find your father. So then I had to call my husband and say, hey, Matthew's laying on the floor. He says he can't open his eyes. He says he's got a really bad headache. I said, what I'm going to do is as soon as the doctor's office opens up, I'm going to schedule an MRI. So as soon as you guys get back, he can go for the MRI to see if what is going on. So Matt, they get back the 29th of December and I leave and I go to New York for a couple of days. I get back and Matthew had an MRI scheduled for January 8th. All right. Brings us to the night of January 4th, 2019. This night changed our lives as we knew it forever. So I was at work and I texted Matthew. I said, are you going to help me take the Christmas tree, Christmas 
decorations up to the attic? He said, yes. I said, all right, that was Friday. So when I get home, let's do that, you know, and then get ready for dinner. So when I got home, I said, Matthew, I'm really tired. I don't think I can do this. I was scheduled for surgery the following week. I was diagnosed with leukemia. So Matthew knew that we had to get this done before my surgery because I, I wouldn't be able to really be mobile. So after that, I'm in the bathroom. You know, this is something that I have not really gotten out there because this is not about me. This is about Matthew. I was in the bathroom. I was throwing up and I hear down the stairs and I'm like, Matthew, where are you going? And he's like, mom, I'm going to Panera where he worked. I'm going to go pick up some pastries. I want to go see Aaron. And I said, okay. I said, what? No, it's pouring rain. I can hear the rain, Matthew. So then Matthew then turns around and he's like, I'm going, I'm going. I'm like, up Matthew. I'm like, I'm throwing up in the bathroom. And I couldn't come out in enough time to stop him. He leaves. It's pouring rain. He goes into the Panera parking lot. Well, as he's making the left into the Panera parking lot, there's a car coming out of the Panera parking lot. That car had to stop. He's got the stop sign. Matthew has the right of way. When Matthew made the left into the Panera parking lot, that man did not stop. He came out at Matthew and hit Matthew's truck. That was really never discussed because of course, Matthew left the scene of the accident if Matthew had stated that accident, we would not be having this conversation right now. Matthew had what we call a meltdown. He started panicking, you know, anxiety through the roof, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. So then he leaves the Panera parking lot, goes down first Colonial. He's doing his breathing exercises. He's trying to calm down. Within less than a quarter of a mile, Matthew realizes I have to turn back and get back to this accident. Well, then he does an abrupt U-turn. All of the transcript, body cam transcripts, I looked at all 12 hours of body cam footage. I looked at all of the interrogation videos. I looked at everything. Matthew kept saying, when I came to, I saw the lights when I came to. So somewhere in between, when he made that U-turn and when he saw the Q6's vehicle, he had to have a seizure. He blacked out because again, that was his exact words when I came to, or when I saw the lights or when I was approaching the vehicle. So in the interrogation video, you can actually see Matthew having a vocal seizure. So when Matthew made the U-turn, he hit a vehicle. So he, he had the seizure as coming out the seizure. We have evidence, a forensic crash expert who wrote a an extensive report that stated Matthew must not have realized that he had his foot on the gas vice the brakes. All of the body cam videos, when he was talking to the officers, he kept saying, my ABS brake wasn't working. My ABS brakes weren't working. But then the black box showed that he had his foot on the gas. It's called misapplication of pedal. That's like the little old lady who puts her vehicle in reverse, thinking that she puts her car in drive and she reverses back. Well, that can happen to anybody, especially somebody coming out of a seizure or coming out of a darkness or coming out of a panic attack, whatever it was. So he hit the Q6's vehicle, a white Ford Explorer. 
um, that white Ford Explorer kind of went up on a hill and then a vehicle hit him from behind that stopped the entire crash. So as that happened, the only way for Matthew to get out of that vehicle was to emerge through the back of the vehicle because all of his airbags were deployed. And so he comes out the back of the vehicle. There was two bystanders. One bystander, Mr. Thorwins, decided he was going to start yelling abruptly at Matthew and belligerently, are you effing trying to kill yourself in sort of that way or something to the effect of, you know, you try to kill me and my wife. I mean, these were in court documents that he actually said these things to Matthew. So again, if you understand an individual with autism, it's called achalalia, where they may not repeat the entire sentence or last thing that they heard, but they will repeat portions of it. And obviously Matthew repeated, yeah, I'm trying to kill myself. Yeah, kill myself or something to that effect. And so the bystander heard it. We're not too sure if the police officer heard it, but the body cam footage for that police officer did not at all show where Matthew ever said he wanted to kill himself. I want to bring to your attention that there were 17 police officers out there that night, to which none of them, Matthew was consecutively on body cam. They knew they kept Matthew on body cam. Matthew went from one patrol car to another patrol car. Then they did the, the sobriety test. Matthew passed, of course, the drug, the alcohol, whatever else, but he could not pass the cognitive side. All of those 17 police officers, their sworn statements were that Matthew was incoherent. He was struggling with his words. He was slurring. He was not responsive to the questions appropriately, but yet they continued to badger Matthew with questions over and over and over and over for almost six hours at the site. When my husband got there, they would not let Matthew see his father at all. My husband begged the police officer, do you not understand Matthew is autistic? Someone needs to advocate for him. Someone needs to see that he's okay. And again, when you watch the Commonwealth of Virginia will not release those body cam videos because you can actually tell in the body cam videos that Matthew was going through an emotional distress. He was monotoned. He was shutting down. And it's disgusting to see it. Lo and behold, seven, almost seven hours later, the CIT officer, Hussan, charged Matthew with second-degree attempted murder. You see the interrogation video. She's there with her phone, click, 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 click. As she's asking Matthew questions, not giving Matthew her undivided attention, she already knew she was going to charge him with murder. She said, when Matthew said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to charge me? She was like, I hope to charge you. How can a CIT officer behave in that fashion. I mean, I was disgusted. I can't even watch it like fully without breaking down because this is not the system that I fought for that my husband and I fought for when we joined the Navy. We, you know, what we were doing, this is not the system that we fought for. And so we've sacrificed almost 20 something years of our life giving 
for a country, we both work for the Department of Defense now, Department of the Navy, and every day we give back to our military members because we know what it's like to be them. You know, we know what it's like Christmas time. There is a program here for uh, military members. Matthew and I would go out and get um, turkeys and whatever else we could to donate to them because we were once upon a time E1s and E2s that couldn't afford Christmas dinners. And, and that's what we would do. So to know that a CIT officer would do that to him, it was just heartbreaking. Second degree attempted murder that night. He was not treated. Is that right? He wasn't after this horrific accident, he did not receive hospitalization at all? No. So one of their protocols is to provide medical care. And if you're telling me you have not only one, but you have dozens of police officers stating that his speech was slur and he didn't see coherent or he couldn't verbalize certain things. And then he failed the cognitive side of the sobriety test that would have immediately Yes. Immediately, yes. you know, he should have been taken to the hospital. But here's the thing to that, too. If he was taken to the hospital, it would have been the same exact hospital that he would have been at in 2015. And those doctors would have said, would have pulled up his medical records and said, hold on a second. This young man has traumatic brain injury, had two collapsed lungs, had all these diagnoses. And we would not be having this conversation. Again, as you mentioned, there was two things that played against Matthew. He's black and he's autistic. Mm-hmm. Basically, those were the things working against him. It worked against him his entire life because of our society and because of the biasness that happens to our every day. But again, if he had been taken to the hospital that night, which is part of their protocol, we would not be having this conversation. Even in the jail, we tried to allow him to get an MRI. They would not. They scheduled an MRI three weeks prior to him getting transferred. So he was supposed to have the MRI on a Thursday. They transferred him to Nottaway Prison on Tuesday in March when COVID hit. Explain to me how this is possible, Laverne. Like, I know you have attorneys. What are they saying? How is it possible for this young man to be in this horrific accident? He already has TBI. He's autistic. He is incoherent. He passes a drug test. He passes an alcohol test. There's clearly anyone who's, I've been in several car accidents. You're shaking. You're not yourself. I don't have any TBI issues. You know, how does this happen? What are your attorneys telling you? Okay. So initial attorney she basically took the case we we trusted her because she was right across the street from the jail matthew's attorney was not fighting hard for him and we caught on to that too late during pre-trial they basically railroaded matthew through through this whole thing they wouldn't allow him to, to get bond the judges were sold by the commonwealth we found evidence of lies, which I'm not allowed to disclose right now, but we found evidence of lies. So basically, they railroaded him. Second degree attempted murder was dropped. They hit him with two aggravated malicious wounding charge and a hit and run. The aggravated malicious wounding charge is 20 years to life. 
if we had gone to trial and he was convicted, we could not risk that. I was like, what? No, we have to go to trial. We have to go to trial. His attorney went to see the Commonwealth a week prior to trial, came back with a plea bargain. I disagreed with it. I said, no way is Matthew going to ever agree to this. She somehow manipulated Matthew into agreeing to the plea bar to the plea deal. She convinced him I was still not wanting this. Sentencing came, the introduction of the autism and the, you know, his mental health and, and his previous medical record was barely touched on. Which brings us to, and I should have said this first, which brings us to Mr. and Mrs. Cusick. Our hearts go out to them. There's not a day where myself and I know for a fact Matthew don't think about them. This was a horrific accident. You know, she, Mrs. Cusick said every day to them was a Saturday. And after this accident, every day became a stressful Monday. I got it. I get it. But this was an accident. If it wasn't an accident, I would have said, oh, yeah, no, lock them up and throw away the keys. But this, they were not willing to listen. At very first, Mrs. Cusick was very compassionate. When I saw her in court and I gestured, I'm sorry to her, she said, I know, I know, it was an accident. And then whether she was brainwashed by the prosecution or however it happened, they basically turned against us. Their statements during sentences, sentencing, was very harsh against Matthew. And I get it, they're hurt. Again, I can't imagine. Matthew is so apologetic and so remorseful. It's unreal. He is going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. Brings us back to sentencing with the judge sentencing Matthew to guilt. Because Matthew pled guilty, he obviously said, okay, guilty, guilty, which is 20 years for each count, which is 40 years, and then the 10-year hit and run, which equaled the 50 years. He suspended 40 of those years, saying Matthew has to serve the 10 years. We were devastated because Matthew's lawyer basically told Matthew he would be coming home. I told Matthew there was no way that he was coming. I knew the truth. So after I heard it, I just, we were destroyed. But this is how they railroaded Matthew. So after sentencing, a month after, we were sitting in court waiting for an appeal. We sat there and everybody was congratulating Matthew's lawyers. So we were like, what, what are they congratulating her for? And come to find out, one of the lawyers who had seen us, had seen us in court every single time, he said, so how do you like sitting on the bench? And we were like, oh my God, she became a judge. They appointed her to become a judge. So basically, she set herself up for a seat on, you know, in circuit court. Mm -hmm. So she recused herself. Then the judge came in and, and said, okay, I'm going to grant you the appeal. I'm going to also grant you a court-appointed attorney. Well, when we looked at the court-appointed attorney, the court-appointed attorney is also a judge. So, of course, an appeal would actually have to be that you're appealing what the lower court has done. She's a judge. She's not going to do that. So she waited a month and then basically put in an Anders appeal and withdrew her support for Matthew in the interim. I already knew what was happening after we found out that they were judges or not judges, but substitute judges 
I knew that I had to find another lawyer. And I did. We found Miriam. I love her to death. And she has taken Matthew's case and taken it to the next level up. And Matthew's packet, pardon packet, we started in March. June 18th, we submitted it to the governor's office, the secretary of the Commonwealth. And because of all of the support that we have gotten from our legislations, from senators to delegates, the Black Caucus, from NAMI to all the other organizations, autism organizations, and then our local ones, I mean, Matthew's packet was expedited immediately. Typically, we would have to wait two years, but we didn't have to wait the two years. They were calling for his packet even before it got to the office. And I will say, you know, on the flip side to that, is we have gotten pushback. We have gotten pushback from the Commonwealth City's Attorney's Office with their release of that state of couple page, five pages of what we call nonsense. I would like to, first of all, let you know, the, Colin Stolly took one of our personal conversations and exploited it into his narrative. Matthew knew I was battling cancer. Matthew knew, so he was basically downplaying the conversation. And Colin Stolly basically said, took excerpts from the conversation and basically said, yeah, Matthew was in acceptance of, he knew exactly what he was saying or he knew exactly what he was doing by signing that plea deal. He understood. Yeah, no, Matthew didn't understand. When you're talking to someone with autism and you're telling them, if you sign this, you're going home, he's not paying attention to what he's signing. He's thinking he's going home. Right. Even when the judge stood there and read him the paperwork line by line, do you understand what you're signing? Do you waive your rights? Matthew's not thinking of those questions. Matthew's saying, yes, 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 I'm going home. Right. And clearly, people who don't understand autism he would appear that he is coherent and fine and understanding of all of it, but they're not inside his brain and right. it should never have happened. Laverne, how are you handling this now? Have you seen Matthew? We have not seen Matthew since December 6, 2019 in court. When he was in Virginia Beach, before he transferred, he uh, would call us on video chat. So I think the last time we actually video chat with him was February the 28th or something like that, right before he got transferred to Nottaway. Physically, we have not seen Matthew since December 6th. I was literally arm's length away from him and the the deputy that was next to him said, do not turn around. Don't even look at her. Don't even. When he was coming like out of the back of the room, the deputy said, put your head down. Don't even look at her. And then they warned us before they brought him out that um, if we even said anything to him, that we would all be arrested. Why? That's just how they are here in Virginia Beach. That's We couldn't say anything to him. I was literally an arm's length away from him, and I couldn't even say. I had to tell his lawyer. I said, please tell him I'm giving him a hug. Are, are you not allowed visitation with your son? No. So here in Virginia Beach, 
when he was here, it was only through video. So basically, it would be the same thing as doing a video chat from home. If you go down to the sheriff's office, it would be a video chat. It wouldn't be him live. Well, so why hasn't this happened since February, you said? or Yeah, so Matthew was transferred in March to Nottaway. And then so COVID happened. So they basically shut down all visitations. So I haven't seen him. Are you able to speak with him? Yes. And how is he? Has he had any more seizures? And has he ever had an MRI yet still? A year and a half later, no MRI. So they did schedule an MRI, but we, again, very fearful that if he leaves Nottaway Prison and goes to the hospital, contracts COVID, you know, will they be ready to take him back to the hospital? What are their protocols? Do they just stick him in medical we don't know. So Nottaway, thankfully, has been one of the only prisons here in Virginia that has not had a COVID outbreak. So he is in a good place for right now as far as where COVID is concerned. As far as medical, you know, we, we don't really know what's going to happen, what the next step for medical is. The other part of it, too, is Matthew's been attacked. Matthew's been attacked several times three times in the Virginia Beach jail, and then just recently in this jail, um, in the prison, he knows he can't fight back or even protect himself because then he would get charged. Even protecting himself, he would get charged. I guess there was an inmate that said a couple of stuff to Matthew, and Matthew was like, what, what are you talking about? And then Matthew said he saw, like, from his peripheral, he was coming up, like, running up to him. So what Matthew did was turn around and took his glasses off, and he basically took the blows that he possibly could. And then when the guy was just hitting him and hitting him and hitting him, nobody came to break it up. And I guess the guy just stopped hitting him. Laverne, I, what I'd like to hope to accomplish from this is from the listeners that are out there and people who know people is how we can help you to get Matthew home. What can be done? So today is the 15th of September. A lot of your listeners or people that are out there that have been writing to the governor and his staff have received the message saying that you know, Matthew's packet is being handled and expedited and there should be an answer by the end of September. Well, so today is too late. Yesterday was too late. Tomorrow is going to be too late. We don't know what is going on with Matthew's health unless we get him the proper medical attention that he needs. The proper medical attention that he was never afforded from the very beginning should have been given So I would ask your listeners to continue to write the governor, write the governor and his staff. I actually updated it and added Rita Davis, who is the governor's counsel. She is very close with the governor. She actually, you know, reviews all of his packets and and she is his right-hand woman, I should say. But yes, Continue to write, continue to call, continue to ask for an immediate release and that absolute pardon. If there's any professionals out there that want to contribute, that want to review Matthew's case and and add what they can, I will definitely encourage that. 
Matthew's lawyer is very receptive in receiving help. We've gotten help from all across the country. It's unreal. And so what do you think is stopping it? I, I feel like there's so many people behind this. I tell everyone this case and it's just like, what? It's the political mumbo jumbo, you know, that's going on right now. Virginia lawmakers are in session. And so typically they would only be in session for about a week, but now it's almost going on three weeks that they've been in session. So a lot of it is, is them. It's, you know, the lawmakers that are kind of holding this down. And also the parole board here in Virginia has been a lot of fire for their past history. So that's even causing this to slow down. But I'm, I'm very hopeful that the parole board will see that this was a mistake, that the parole board will see that this should have never happened and have some type of compassion for people with autism. And I really want to encourage the training for these officers that deal with autistic individuals every single day. There has to be some type of way forward so the Elijah Taylors don't happen, the Matthew. So our kids and, and loved ones do not become hashtags. You know, it's, it's sad. It's, it's very sad and frustrating at every single level. And even like Colin Stolly, the Commonwealth of Virginia city attorney for Virginia Beach. I just hope he, he realizes that his community is hurting because of this. His community has strung up behind Matthew and he has to realize that. And if he has any compassion, he dismisses mental health as though if you can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and do math, you're okay. No, you're not okay. He basically released a statement to the news, you know, stating that Matthew worked and attended school and there was nothing wrong with him. So his whole theory was Matthew was suicidal. Well, if Matthew was suicidal, when did suicide come off the mental health crisis list? Because that's exactly what he said. It, it, it wasn't a mental health crisis. Matthew did not show any mental health crisis. Well, your whole theory is Matthew was suicidal. So when did suicide come off the mental health crisis list? Right. Like, where is understanding? You have a master's degree in criminology and, and can't absorb that? Like, you're telling me you are educated, you had all this experience in, in criminal justice, but you can't identify when someone is under a mental health crisis, like... Yeah, everything you're saying is right, Laverne. You know, we discussed it before. I know if it was my son, that wouldn't have happened. And I think there's other things at play here. Racism and the construct of the police officers. And I just know that we're going to continue to fight for you and we'll fight for Matthew and get him out. Can you... Tell everyone where they should go to to find all this information, where they can write letters, where they can make phone calls. Okay, so I have it posted on my personal Facebook blog. It is free Matthew Russian on my Facebook. I, okay, let's spell that have- out. I want to spell that out. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-R-U-S-H-I-N. Correct. Okay. So it's free Matthew Russian on Facebook blog and or my Instagram is justice number four for Matthew Russian. 
that also has all the information out there and I post it every day. So. Okay. And what we need are more letters, more phone calls, if anyone knows, and just to keep adding pressure to the governor. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And are there any, is there any news, any hope that you might be able to have a video call soon with Matthew? I'm hoping for a release. I'm I'm really not trying to push for a, a video conference. It's very difficult nowadays to do a video conference. It's it's take an act of Congress to do that. So no one in his prison is being able to have any visitors? No, or di- no not at all. Because of the COVID. It's just, it's terrible. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And how are you and, and your family and your health? I know you mentioned you have leukemia. How is that? Yeah, I'm managing. It's in remission, but you know, my energy level is up and down. I struggle every day and our family is struggling every day. He's behind bars. We're behind bars. Yeah. I put it out on Instagram the other day, but I have to talk myself out of bed in the mornings. I actually telework from home, but I have to literally talk myself out of bed. But my strength comes from him. My strength comes from Matthew Russian. And I will always fight for him. I'll fight for him my last breath. Yeah. Laverne, thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. And I just encourage everyone out there to please go to Instagram. Please go to justice number four, justice four, Matthew Russian. Look at this feed. Look at this beautiful family. Look at this beautiful, beautiful boy who is not deserving of this and is clearly a victim of a system gone very, very wrong. We have to do everything we can to help. And Laverne, I promise you that I will. I want to thank you. And I hope that our next conversation will be with you and with Matthew. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.